Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and I am joined once again by Jason and Rachel. So good morning, Jason and Rachel. Howdy ho. Good morning. How are you today, Rachel? Doing well. Excited to be awake and alive. Very, very good. Jason, you doing all right? I will share those sentiments. Uh, You know, I, I always, whenever we record, I'm usually in the exact same spot right by a window that overlooks my backyard. And so the weather is always uh, kind of apparent to me. And today's a beautiful day. It's cool. It's sunny. It's a, it's, it's the perfect fall day in Texas. <gasps> For real? <Yeah. laughs> I love fall. That's awesome. Okay. I didn't know that I haven't been outside yet. So yeah, to go check it it's out. Great. It's not too hot. Yeah, we tend to record in the mornings, and the mornings have been very nice lately for for a, a while. It seems like, yeah. So that's yeah. There, there was like one or two where it was like raining like crazy, and that made editing mm. a little challenging because the rain noise was really loud outside my window. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the most part, it's, it's been so nice. no rain noise today, and we are good to go. So we are going to continue our our conversation today about confession. So we started this a couple of weeks ago and kind of did a a wide-ranging episode looking at several different aspects of confession, and then we we had another conversation interspersed between these last week. And so we're, we're returning to confession today, and we we want to do a couple of things, kind of maybe dig down a little deeper on a couple of things we sort of introduced in, in the last conversation and maybe um, head into some new territory as well, but kind of uh, go a little deeper on, on some of the things that we introduced a little bit in, in the last conversation. And so I know for me, after we had our last conversation and, and thinking about it afterwards, uh, the healing nature and power of confession is something that I really started to kind of think about and and focus on at least personally. And so then I actually went back and I listened to our, our previous confession podcast, which I, I probably should do more, but I don't always go back and listen to our podcast, but, (laughs) but I went back and listened to this one and, and I thought we actually, we hit it a couple of times actually, it wasn't uh, intentional, but but it came up a few times about just sort of the healing nature of, of confession. But I thought there was probably some some space to go a little deeper there with with that idea, and and so let's start there today and kind of think about just that the the healing power of confession and and what that brings about and those types of things. Uh, and so to kind of begin that conversation, I'm curious if if either of you have thoughts on that and and just what what type of healing. Do you see confession bringing to to our lives, uh, to relationships, and and what are some of the healing qualities of confession? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind uh, when thinking about the healing part of confession is healing within relationships through confession. Um, I, you know, in, in my job as a counselor, one of the things that I am very often doing is working help or helping uh, clients, uh, maybe married couples or, or people work through um, kind of past hurts and, and ways in which they have wronged each other. And um, we could talk about kind of forgiveness. I think forgiveness, 
does not require confession. Um, but in that if someone has wronged me, I can forgive them without confess without them having confessed to me. That's a, in my mind, a separate process, but confession can certainly help heal the relationship. It, it kind of, it's a way for the, the person who has committed the wrong or who has sinned against another to say, I recognize what I did, or I recognize the effect that my actions or that my words may have had. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm sorry for that, that I, uh, I know that that wasn't, you know, good for you or good for the relationship. And so it can go a long way towards healing the relationship. It's a lot easier to welcome that person back into your heart when you receive that confession. You know, maybe, maybe we should, we should be able to do that even without the confession, I believe. Um, but it certainly is, is significantly easier when, when we've received that confession. And so I think there, there's a parallel. It's not a perfect parallel, but I think there is a parallel to be made when we confess, uh, our sins, to, uh, you know, against God. Um, I think God has the capability and, and frequently does forgive us despite our lack of confession or, or, um, when we haven't confessed. And so it's, and so again, it's not done for that purpose, but it helps bring us back to God. It helps bring us, uh, closer to, to, to God when that sin maybe has pushed us apart from God. And I think it's something mental and emotional and spiritual for us, regardless of what it does for God, which I don't know that it does much of anything for God, but it does something for us. It brings us closer in an emotional and a mental and spiritual sense. Well, I think that's interesting to compare it to, to compare how can like how, how confession has the ability to mend a relationship kind of interpersonally to, to what confession does with our relationship with God. Because to me, part of what that does in relationship is if I'm able and willing to confess, it helps bring me fully present into that relationship um, and, and fully invested in it. And, and I think the same thing could be said of God then, of our relationship with God, that, that if I'm willing and able to confess those, those things before God, it, it helps to sort of bring me fully present and, and, and just, I think, draws us into a more intimate connection with God. Um, even if, kind of as you said, if, if that's not something God kind of needs emotionally to mend the, rela- the relationship, um, it, it does seem to be something that helps bring us sort of more fully invested and, and present into that space. Well, we're, we're the ones, you know, human beings are the ones who are constantly pushing away from God. Um, at every step, we we want more uh, autonomy. We want more kind of uh, we want to be more more hidden from from God uh, because of our shame. You know, I think about Adam and Eve when they, um, you know, after they've eaten of the the fruit, um, you know, they hide and they're ashamed. And I think we continue to do that on a regular basis. Um, and so when we confess, that's us kind of coming out of the shadows, coming out of our hiding place and saying, I'm here, I'm human, 
I need you and I'm sorry. And, um, and that takes humility and it takes, um, it takes kind of, it takes a a large degree of self-reflection, which I think is very difficult for us. Um, but, but, you know, and, and the more that I, the longer I live and the more that I kind of witness this in my own life, the more I realize that it re- it really isn't that God is changing or that God, it, you know, it's not like God is softening to, to me in those times. It's that I'm coming out of my hiding place um, and approaching God in, in a more authentic and, um, and humble way. Yeah, I'm... I'm always happy to bring things back to Adam and Eve because I think there's so much about just the human experience and what we learned about God from that story. And yeah, you certainly see, I think, the dangers of, of what happens if we don't confess and if we, if we neglect confession in that story. And I mean, yeah, they, they immediately start covering up and finger pointing and, well, it's your fault. It's his fault. It's, it's someone else's fault. I, here's justification right. for what I did instead of just owning up to it and saying, yeah, we, we, we messed up. Yeah. And it's a process that we every day repeat right? <laughs> on, on large scales, on small scales, in our intimate relationships, in our macro relationships. It, it, you can see it all around you and you can see it in your own life. Right. Rachel, what are you, what are you thinking about this, Rachel? I think that the, the, the forgiveness element actually is tied up in confession. And so it's interesting for me to hear, it, Jason, that to you, that's a, a separate process, but I've seen... Well, it's, I, I see it as related, but yeah, okay. we can talk about that a little later. It's related, but yeah, in my mind, it is separate. Yeah, okay. I think that when you do confess, it puts you in a position to receive grace. And uh, if that is with your relationship with God, I think that once you have maybe said out loud or written down or whatever it may be, um, what you're confessing... I think that creates a self posture where you're able to now receive the forgiveness and the grace of God. And um, I can remember times in my life where that has been the case, like maybe I've struggled with sin for a long time. And then when I get on my knees and say it out loud and admit that this is what I'm struggling with and I need the help of God, and I've heard him speak into those moments, you're forgiven and I have forgotten. And just hearing that God has forgiven me and that he has forgotten was absolutely freeing. And I was able to, to go on and, and live um, without the burden of the guilt on me anymore. And so I think that um, it leads you to a posture of being able to receive grace and to receive forgiveness. Yeah, and I think, you know, Jason could speak to this too, but I think what to me, what Jason was saying was that in relationship, like I, if someone wrongs me, I can forgive them for that wrong without them confessing to me they're wrong. Um, and so in that case, it's because I agree with what you're saying about kind of putting us in, in, in kind of a posture for that. Um, but but interrelationally, if, if someone wrongs me, they, they don't have to confess for me to forgive them. But as we've talked about with forgiveness before, they do have to confess in order for there to be reconciliation. And so, and so confession is more tied to reconciliation than it is to, to mm. forgiveness. Right. Um, yeah, that, I think, that's more what okay. I was getting at. And I also think you're more likely to forgive someone who asks for forgiveness. Sure. Um, than 
if they don't, you might just store that as a bitter thing in the back of your heart and mind that's not dealt with. But if someone specifically brings it to you and confesses and says, I wronged you in this way, please forgive me. I feel like you're much more likely to forgive and to deal with it. So maybe that's the reconciliation piece you're talking about. Yeah. And Warren, you're exactly right. It's it's kind of that difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I I define forgiveness as a emotional and spiritual process of the person doing the forgiving. Um, and I think the reason why we often tie forgiveness and reconciliation together is because of the guilt and the shame of the person who has committed the wrong that we want to be forgiven because we want to know that the, the damage done or that the hurt that was caused is not going to be carried forward by this individual, that it's not going to be lasting damage. It's not going to be a, a, a chronic wound for them. Um, and in the process of reconciliation, the, the person who has been wronged can give them that assurance to say, no, I forgive you. I'm not going to carry this forward anymore. And we can be reconciled. Um, but that's not always... That's first of all, that's not always possible. You know, sometimes I've I've met in counseling with plenty of people for whom, you know, they feel really guilty and ashamed of something. They want uh, forgiveness, but the person that they may have wronged maybe has passed away or is estranged and 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 just not open to communication at this time. And so that's when we have to work on, okay, maybe reconciliation in the way that we know it in a in a literal or or, or physical sense um, maybe that's not possible or at least not possible right now so we have to work on forgiving oneself and uh, reconciling yourself to um, to kind of your own identity and you know for people who are of a spiritual nature reconciling yourself to god and uh because i i firmly believe that god forgives us um you know, very quickly. God forgives us much quicker than we forgive ourselves. And so the forgiveness piece from God, I don't consider to to necessarily ever be a problem. It's more, A, how can I forgive myself? And B, how do I reconcile, how do I put myself, as Rachel said, um, put me in a position to be reconciled back with God? One thought I had sort of about going back to this idea of, of the healing nature of, of confession within, specifically within relationships. Jason, when you were kind of talking about relationships earlier, I had this thought, and, and I think it kind of goes back to something, Rachel, that you had talked about in our last conversation where you mentioned something about basically how if we, uh, if we fail to really kind of do the work of introspection and, and as it relates to confession, we end up kind of treating symptoms, not, not causes, right? And so I kind of want to kind of take the flip of that and think about confession within relationships because it seems like uh, the the ability to 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 confess openly and well within a relationship sort of assumes some things about the relationship or or it seems like there would have to be some things kind of undergirding that within a relationship that there would be some things that that relationship would need to be built on so that that could happen well and in a healthy way within a relationship. And so do, does that make sense to y'all? And, and do you kind of have thoughts there of what, what has to be present within a relationship for that to happen well? 
I don't think it's a requirement for confession, but I think that if both of you are believers following the path of Christ and you have an issue between each other, you should be able to confess. Um, I think that basically if you have a wrong between two believers, there's really no excuse for you to confess to each other and to ask for, for forgiveness if that should be the case. However, a lot of us as Christians have relationships with non-believers. Um, and so we really have to be the ministers of reconciliation and the ones to take initiative and to, to confess or to forgive even when someone hasn't asked for forgiveness. Um, and so I think that the basic foundation is a relationship in Christ. And if both people or the group are all in Christ, then absolutely they should be confessing to each other. And if there's only one person who is a believer, then I think that that person has to be the one to show this way of confessing um, and paving the way for forgiveness. And of course, there's there's discernment, you know, you're not just going to go out and like blab everything you, you've done wrong to anybody. Uh, there has to be some trust there and possibly a relationship. But I think that as believers, we really have to be the ones to take initiative in humility and confessing our faults. Yeah. And uh, I think what kind of undergirds what, what you just said, Rachel, is there has to be a desire for reconciliation. And I think being people of faith, we should always have a desire for reconciliation. We should have a, rec- a desire for reconciliation with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we should have a desire for reconciliation with, you know, people who may not know Christ and to bring them to Christ. Um, and, you know, fundamentally, I think it comes from do the two people who who are not reconciled, do both of them want reconciliation? Again, when I'm working in counseling, if a couple comes to see me for couples counseling, this may seem like a, an odd thing, but the first thing I want to know is, do both of you want to reconcile? And sometimes the answer is no. And if the answer, if either person has the answer of no, I'm just here because I don't want to make them upset or I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to argue and fight about it. So I came and just to say, I give it a try or whatever. Okay, well, then there's there's really no hope at reconciliation if someone doesn't genuinely want that. Um, because either subconsciously or maybe even consciously, they're going to be sabotaging those efforts. Um, and so the first thing that's required, I think, is a desire for reconciliation. Um, then the second thing that, especially when um, we're talking about reconciliation between people, is there has to be a recognition that um, that blame is not cannot be a part of that. Uh, that that reconciliation is about me looking at myself and saying, how did I contribute to the the divide? How did I contribute to this? And, and I think that even applies with churches. So um, I think about like, if you have, you know, someone who, who does like a public confession and comes forward and say, well, you know, this is how I'm, you know, I'm, this is how I've sinned, or this is how I've I've wronged someone, or this is how I've wronged God. 
I think it's important for the church to take responsibility to say this is a person whom we have uh, a responsibility to care for. And, you know, maybe maybe we neglected some of that. Um, and whether or not we did, we have a responsibility to welcome them back and to help them heal and to, um, you know, maybe in some circumstances um, ask for you know, forgiveness ourselves. You know, I think a lot of times churches can be guilty of neglecting some of its people. And, uh, um, and so I think that there, there does have to be this shifting from, well, who is to blame to introspection to say, well, I, you know, what role might I bear in this problem, even if I'm not the one who committed the sin, even if I'm not the one who's seeking forgiveness, who's making the confession, how might I have contributed to this inadvertently, maybe innocently, but contributed to it nonetheless? And how might I may need to uh, kind of practice some self-reflection and practice some um, uh, uh, some confession myself? And so I think there there is some reciprocity, at least in theory, that that should probably happen. Yeah, I um, I wish that I had thought of this be- before we started this conversation. But several things in this conversation have reminded me of there was all these stories that I read about when I, when I preached on forgiveness a uh, long time ago. At this point, it feels like it feels like ages ago with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years in our world. But um, I, I read a lot about this, it's called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was done in Sierra Leone. After there, they had like this 11-year civil war. And then it's like, all right, how do, we, how do we go about trying to be a unified people again after this, like, after we've brutally kill, killed and captured and tortured each other for, you know, a decade? And, and the best way that they found to do that was through these through reconciliation and through confession and forgiveness and and they would bring these communities together for these like ceremonies um these truth telling ceremonies these cleansing ceremonies where they would have people just say you know here's here's what I did I'm I'm sorry I did this to you to you to your family to whatever um and and they could ask for forgiveness and and receive forgiveness and and confession was so tied up in that and I think if you look at what happened so this study was done kind of studying like the effect that this had on all these villages and it had such a unifying effect and, and a healing component to that, 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 that I think is a very tangible look at, at this idea, this concept of healing and, and how, how confession can bring about healing and, and how many times in our world we, we try to pursue kind of a path forward through other means, right? Either through retribution or holding a grudge or uh, whatever it might be that there are, there, there seem to be, especially when we think about communally, there seem to be other paths that, that we want to take forward. And, and I think that was such a powerful example to me of how, okay, if we're really going to actually move forward in a positive way, there's going to have to be a reckoning of this and we're going to have to come together and agree to um to to confess and forgive and and move forward in peace and so there are there are several cool stories that that came out of that 
that experience and, and that commission that was done that I think speak to this concept really well. Um, and so I want to read. I want to. I want to read for us a scripture, and then see if y'all have any thoughts on this. Because so this is from James five, and it's a scripture that um, actually Rachel had suggested for us to kind of incorporate into this conversation. And so again, as I as I went back and read this, kind of thinking with it from this perspective of healing, I sort of read differently. So I want us to. I'm going to read this for us, and then I'd be curious to hear y'all's thoughts on this scripture. Uh, again, specifically as it relates to our conversation about the healing nature of confession. So this is James five, thirteen through 16. It says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Um, what do you think about those verses as it relates to our conversation we've been having? The first thing that comes to mind is women's prison ministry in Eldoret. This was a memory verse that we did during our class. And <laughs> to see the impact of confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed, for, for them to grasp that understanding was life transforming for a lot of the women. They were able to confess to those that they had wronged, um, and also confess holding grudges for the people that caused them to be in prison, whatever the circumstances were for that. And uh, I saw some women receive psychological and personal healing um, because they were able to confess <laughs> um, to even their sisters there uh, in our class. And I think that uh, it's really powerful. And if you're holding a lot of weight, if you're holding guilt, um, this is a way to actually receive peace uh, and healing in yourself. Um, so I've seen that at, at the personal level for them, like in their own psyche to receive that healing. And I do think that, um, well, obviously James is talking about physical healing too. So I think that it actually does have a role to play um, in the physical healing. And I even saw women be physically healed. Um, not necessarily like they confessed their sins and then immediately they were physically healed, but it seemed like it was part of the process um, of their physical healing involved uh, confessing their sins and being honest with who they are and why they were in prison. Um, so I think it's very powerful and... Uh, a verse uh, to be taken seriously. Yeah, I think it's one of those verses that a lot of times, this is, this is just kind of my experience. I think there are verses like this that a lot of times we don't really know what to do with. And so we just kind of, uh, we don't do much with them at all. <laughs> and so the idea when he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Um, I think especially in sort of non-charismatic 
traditions and backgrounds. It's like, man, what is what is Paul talking about there? Uh, so we just kind of don't dive into it much. But on the other hand, then I think like certainly, I think we would all recognize the physical toll that stress and grudges and holding on to those things does within us. Um, and, and, and so I do like the idea that, that Paul connects the physical to the, to the spiritual sort of there and that, yeah, like, yeah, of, of course that would have an effect on our physical health and well-being to be able to, to do those things well. And, and I really like the way that, like, cause Paul's point there seems to be about prayer and healing. And then, and then after, and that's why I wanted to start in verse 13, because then after talking about those things, he's like, therefore, so because of all this, because you need to be doing all of this, therefore you should also be confessing your sins to each other and praying for each other in that way so that you may be healed. And, and I just think that's really interesting context in, in which to discuss the idea of confession and confess to each other, he says. You're saying Paul, you mean James? James. Sorry, I mean James. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, are we Thanks. in a different book than I thought we were in? Okay. No, I'm just so used to saying Paul for epistles that, yeah. that I was <laughs> saying Paul. So James, yes, you're right. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily would have, um, you know, picked up on this particular verse for this conversation, but it, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um You know, the, the question, you know, it, are you suffering? You know, is, is any one of you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? Sing, you know, should sing praises. Um, any one of you sick should call the elders of your church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, you know, that that is kind of a template for the things that we might confess, Right that we're confessing our suffering, we're confessing our joy, our cheer, uh, we're confessing our sickness. And that could be seen, again, like you said, as a physical sickness or a spiritual sickness. Um, and, and that confession is being done with other people, um, but also being done with, with God. So the, the answers to those are pray, sing praises, and, you know, get together with your church. Um, and so there, there is a template there for confession that I don't think I'd ever seen before. Um, that, that our confession can be one-on-one -on -one with God. That our confession can be, can be quiet, but it can also be boisterous, depending on the circumstance. It can be uh, private. It can be communal. Um, and, and I think depending on exactly what kind of confession and what kind of, um, I guess, healing or what kind of way forward we, we need may kind of uh, help guide what direction we go with that. So I, I, I like that. I had, again, I don't think I would have seen this verse as necessarily speaking to confession, but it, it definitely fits. I feel like it also gives us a framework going back to the question of uh, what sort of pre-existing condition needs uh, do you have to have in a, a relationship? And so I feel like this is painting the picture of the church 
and that confession is one of the aspects of the community of believers. This is something that they are doing together. And so, yeah, they're, uh, they're praying together, they're worshiping together, and they are confessing their sins to one another. And so I feel like this sort of paints a picture of all of these work best when they're working together. So prayer, worship, and confession all flow as, as the, function, the functions of the church together. And so maybe it's hard to just like confess to people with whom you're not already praying and with whom you're not already praising and worshiping. So probably the local church is the best place um, for us to have a safe place to confess our sins. Those people who already have been praying for us and who we're worshiping the Lord alongside. So is that is that kind of like... Um... Well, I think about you, you mentioned the prayer, worshiping and confessing. I think when, when we think about like what we emphasize and, and how we, um, how we kind of teach people, it's, it's kind of like the first thing is always get into the church building. So participate in the worship aspect. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's kind of a low barrier of entry, you know, relatively speaking, um, and then the second thing we emphasize is prayer and pray, but confession really doesn't get emphasized that often. Um, I think we talk about on rare occasions, we might talk about confessing your sins, but you know, at least in, in my history and in my tradition, there hasn't been a lot of kind of description of how that works. You know, I mean, we have we have a very clear template for how worship works, you know, just show up and watch what happens on Sunday morning. And um, and we have a template, at least for prayer in that, you know, you can see people praying in church and uh, the Lord. You know, there are various prayers, most famously the Lord's Prayer um, for how to pray. And and so lots of different examples of that. Uh, But we're kind of. I don't know, as a, as a body, we're kind of left or we, we kind of leave it to just people to figure out for themselves. What does it mean to confess? What is confession? As someone new to the vine, I actually see the role of confession being greater than in many other churches I've been a part of. So the confessional prayer that we pray during worship is actually not just a confession of belief, but it is actually a confession of sin um, and communal sin. And we failed to be what we are created to be. And like our focus is on the wrong things and we've been seeking after the world. Like that is like direct uh, for us there. And so I think that's a very powerful tool for us as a church to say together. I, I agree. I would say that that in my life is an exception. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that in most churches I've been a part of, that that, um, that that, something like the prayer of confession that we have was not a part of, of the church, regular church practice. Um, now we, we used to have a different prayer of confession, um, that was, that had some similar elements, but was very different. I think this one we started Warren when you came that you began implementing this particular prayer. Um, and now I can't even remember what the old one said. Uh, but, but that was, 
that was new to me when I came to the Vine. Um, and, and yeah, I would say that that probably is the biggest exception to what I just said. And, and it's kind of the exception that proves the rule that we don't really have, um, or at least in, in my life, I haven't really had a, a model for what confession looks like and, and how we do it. And, and one of the things that excites me every, every week when I say that, uh, that prayer of confession, I'm reminded about those things in a very powerful way. I'm reminded that, okay, I am, I'm, I'm, I may be focusing too much on matters that are not, that don't bring light, that don't bring peace, um, that don't bring righteousness to the world. And, uh, and this is the moment, this is the time when I need to, to reshape that. So, um, maybe not, in somewhat of a communal public sense, but but also very much in a private sense between me and God, I find that to be a very powerful moment of confession. Yeah, I think it definitely stirs up a recognition and a realization of where we've fallen short as a body and as individuals. And I think there's something significant to saying it every week mm-hmm. um, because it helps you like it's like checking yourself again it's kind of like oh yeah that like oh i was dealing with that last sunday okay let me come back to again and i feel like the prayer itself is almost a form of accountability Mm -hmm. it's something you know you'll be coming back to again the next week and it's calling calling to remembrance um where you have fallen short but it doesn't just leave you there. It shifts you into a, a new focus and asks God to help you um, to be someone who's building his kingdom and who is spreading his light and his love. Um, so I love that confession prayer. I haven't seen it anywhere else. I don't know where it came from, but I think that that's a fantastic outlet as well as a little moment of silence at the beginning of the service and the communion time Um is a time, I think, to search your own heart. And to me, it's quite meaningful to have some moments of silence and self-reflection before I take the elements. Um, I think that that has always been something significant to me to sort of do some self-examine, give the spirit a moment to reveal to me some things I wasn't seeing. And if nothing comes to mind to just say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and um, cover me in your grace again through your body and your blood. So I actually think that the vine is doing a fantastic job of, of providing uh, confession outlets within the worship service better than I think I've seen anywhere else I've ever been. Yeah, I, I agree with with what y'all have been saying about that prayer of confession. And I, I, I certainly find it to be a convicting part of our service and, and a convicting prayer. Uh, it's something I pray several times a week now, uh, just kind of as, as a part of my prayer routine. And to to sort of get to where, where it came from, it was actually, I think it's actually the third, at least the third prayer of confession that has been used at the Vine, because I think Sean had one, and then Michael kind of had one, and then this one, um, with each minister it has changed, but <laughs> this one actually came from Bridget. Uh, it's at least, it's a version of, she found this prayer, because um, the, the prayer of confession I think I've told this story in various places, but we had kind of stopped doing it, um, and and Bridget had specifically kind of asked about it because because of um, what it meant to her personally, 
And so we ended up adding it back in. She found a prayer that she thought would fit well, but it was really a prayer. It was a prayer about peace. And, and so it was, it was a little, it was structured a little differently. So I kind of rewrote it to broaden it out to be kind of, kind of a more all-inclusive every Sunday, broader type of prayer. And so it's, it's a version of a prayer that, that Bridget found somewhere. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I've shared in several places just how much it has come to mean for me personally and how um, originally, you know, I, I was fine adding it back in just because of what I knew it meant for other people, but it has come to mean something very powerful and, and personal for me as well. And, and I certainly think, you know, as you were saying that, Jason, about that's the, it's kind of the most you have experienced it in Christian community and sort of the outlier of your experience with churches. And I, I, I would certainly agree Well, churches of Christ in particular. Yeah, yeah. And it's something... Um, you know, this, this may be taking us a little off topic, but I think that's something that we, we sort of do well as churches. We kind of, we're good at recognizing the things that we don't do very well and say, man, wouldn't it be good if we could do more of this? And then it kind of stays there <laughs> and we never do more of, more of this. We just kind of know that we should. And so maybe that's on, on us as ministers, as church leaders, whatever. But, but I think that's an aspect of church life. But I think that this is probably, um, a good place to, to press pause for us today for this episode. And then, but I want to, we're going to do, we're going to have one more conversation about this that we'll pick up with our next episode. Cause I think there's some more places here that we can jump into about confession within community um, and, and uh, confessing our beliefs, which Jason kind of briefly mentioned connection with that scripture in James. So that's where we'll go next time. We'll continue this. We'll pick up this conversation right here next time and, um, and see what we have to, to say about that. Uh, So, Rachel, will you close this one out for us in prayer? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that our confession is insufficient, and we need your grace to cover us and to make us humble and yet bold to confess our sins, that we may receive your grace. Thank you for this conversation, and I pray that it would be edifying to our members and um, that it would be informative and instructive for us as a church. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.